people are patients only a small amount of the time, but they're humans all of the time. But in healthcare, we do so many things to inadvertently dehumanize folks. What we're focusing on now in terms of hardwiring is giving our providers tips on a weekly basis. Welcome to Humanizing Healthcare, where we talk with innovators and thought leaders who are working to make healthcare experiences more compassionate and rewarding for all. Our host is Chris Malone, founder of Fidelum Health and author of the award-winning book, The Human Brand, how we relate to people, products, and companies. Hi, I'm Chris Malone, and I'll be your host for today's discussion. Thank you for joining us. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Reg Blaber, EVP and Chief Clinical Officer at Virtual Health. Welcome to the program, Dr. Blaber. Thank you for having me. So to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about your role at Virtual Health? As the Chief Clinical Officer, I am responsible um, for the most part for clinical operations. And, and by that, I mean the safety and quality of the care that's offered here, the experience um, that folks get. We have a, a very important academic affiliation with Rowan University that I, I steward. And then there's a number of other, other things that uh, fall under my portfolio, but I, I don't think necessarily worthy of this discussion. And then for those who might not be familiar with Virtua, can you tell us a little bit about Virtua and where you're located and the types sure. of uh, communities you serve? Virtua is a, a five-hospital health system in southern New Jersey. Our three main counties that we serve are Camden County, Burlington County, and uh, Gloucester County. We have five hospitals across those uh, across those counties, and we employ about 1,400 physicians. Um, have about 41 joint ventures with uh, ambulatory surgical uh, centers across three states, and have about 300 plus locations. And so, I'm wondering, is there a story that you can share about how you personally chose a career in healthcare? When I was a little kid, you know, I went through the phases of wanting to be an astronaut, a police officer, a fireman. And when I uh, told my parents I wanted to be a doctor, you know, they they latched onto that one. My dad was a salesman, but he was amongst a family of physicians. So he was the black sheep in the family. Uh -huh. So I, I think he was redeeming himself in his eyes by uh, when I told him that I wanted to be a doctor. And and really, from that moment on, I didn't want to be anything else. So, you know, over the last few years, it seems like there's been this growing interest in the idea that healthcare needs to become more human. I think especially since the COVID-19 pandemic. What are your yeah. thoughts on this? And, and does healthcare need humanizing in your view? Although I think it predates the pandemic, I will say the pandemic exacerbated it. If you think about a time where we were all wearing masks, where we were separated from each other, if not emotionally, very much spatially uh, with the six foot rule. And, you know, I, so many of our docs and nurses would come home from work. They'd strip out of their clothes. Their family would be upstairs and they would go downstairs. And so there was this real estrangement of of uh, of families. Uh, uh, not, so not only here at work, but but doctors and nurses not being able to see their loved ones at home. But at work, it was very much the same. I mean, just think about how how a face mask really changes the way we look at and perceive each other. It's tough to even understand what you're thinking just by looking at your eyes, how you're reacting emotionally. But as I said, it it, it predated that. If you think, you know, I've been practicing since uh, since the early 90s and, and uh, medicine has changed so much in that time period. And I hear about it, especially from the docs who are older than me. If you think about uh, the introduction of electronic health record and how that computer screen 
more and more has come to sit between me and my patient. You know, I've, I've had patients tease me about, you know, having me having a better relationship with my computer screen than I have with them. And, you know, they're sending a loud and clear message when they tell me that. And at the same time, there's all these economic forces that that with the corporatization of medicine and whatnot and, um, and a lot of things being driven by the government, whereby we're being asked to see patients more and more quickly. The focus becomes on documenting what I have done so I can bill for it, as opposed to, you know, focusing on what you need, what matters most to you in that moment. And so there's this, um, I think, uh, conflicting forces that are up against each other that have physicians in particular, but also nurses and other healthcare providers really um, finding themselves um, at a crossroads of, of, is this what I signed up for? Absolutely. And I think you mentioned a couple of things. There are these things that have intervened in the way that we naturally interact with one another, right? Whether it's the electronic record system or COVID and the masks, and it's disrupting the things that we kind of take for granted and how we socially interact. And only when we have that interruption do we start to recognize how much of a difference that makes, essentially. I agree with you, Chris. I heard you speak at a conference recently about how virtual health has been focused on heartwiring what matters most for everybody always. And I was wondering if you could tell us what that means and how that all came about. Well, obviously, heartwiring is a play on words with hard wiring. You know, and as a physician executive and, and health system administrator, I, I do my best to hardwire everything I can. You know, we want to standardize wherever we can and, and create processes. But and, and that's so important in medicine because there are so many areas where if you're not following a process very closely, people can get hurt. The problem is, is that if you're only addressing, if you're only telling people what to do and not necessarily why to do it, you're not going to get great compliance with that. And even a step further, if you really want to be successful in ingraining something into into those on your workforce, you want to go beyond the head. You want to connect the head to the heart. So when you talk about the why, you've got to talk about why it matters to their patients. Why and 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 in doing so, you're tapping into their purpose, why they got into healthcare in the first place, and their passion for healthcare. You know, absent that, it's just sort of, hey, you're asking me to do another thing. Are you kidding me? And it's, that's especially the case nowadays, especially post-pandemic. So our goal with heart wiring is truly to connect the head to the heart and and shape behaviors by tapping into the emotions of our providers. Chris, you know that it's the amygdala that that is where emotions arise, and and the amygdala is is a much more primitive, but also much more powerful driver of behavior than is the frontal cortex. And so, if if I tell people why it's important, you know what they're going to do it when it's convenient, if there's no emotion involved. But if there's emotion involved, they will do it every time, even when it's inconvenient. And that's our goal by hardwiring things. That's a really well put, Reg, in the sense that 80% of our behavior, social psychologists tell us 80% of our behavior is driven by those emotions. It's not by the rational, logical thinking part of our brain. It's that stuff where we feel it and it moves us and we act. So it's a really great uh, explanation. So can you tell me some examples of how you have been hardwiring what matters for patients at virtual? The first thing I'm going to tell you is I think we got it wrong for a long time. You asked about patients, but I'm going to start with colleagues. Because, you know, I, I, w- I would go into a room and I would tell the docs and nurses, you know, hey, 
you need to, when, you, when you're going into a patient's room, you need to knock on the door. You need to sit down, show them you have time. Um, you need to make eye contact. You need to lean in. You need to touch them. You need, and, and here's a script for you to use. And um, it never worked. It, it never worked. And obviously, that's what I was telling them what to do with great reasons why, but none of it had anything to do with tapping into their emotion, their purpose, their passion as to why they're why they're doing what they're doing. And and, you know, I came to realize at some point that. I had it all wrong in, in order for our patients to get what they need. I needed to first make sure that our. Care teams. Our docs, our nurses, our techs, our therapists all got what they needed first. It was then that I started thinking of, of differently about this problem. And that is, you know, our patients are telling us they're not happy. Well, and, and I'm talking about not just virtual, I'm talking about the whole country. You know, um, our patients are telling us they're not happy. We, we our, our providers are telling us they're not happy because they're they're retiring early. Um, they're leaving the works, the workforce in droves. You have to ask yourself why that's happening. And in my view, the reason that's happening, and I, I'm going to lean back into what I mentioned a couple of uh, minutes ago, is that there's so much separating us from our patients. We, we've not been connecting with our patients in a human to human fashion, creating that emotional bond. Um, so the EMR, the um, rapidity by which I have to go through patients, that becomes the focus of me. And when that becomes the focus, then then my interaction with you as my patient becomes transactional, right? So if I'm seeing 25 patients in a day, that's 25 transactions. It's like I'm standing at the ACME, just um, hitting the cash register, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. I go home, I'm exhausted, and I feel empty because... There was no human interaction. And this has happened to me, Chris. So um, I'm not speaking for everyone, but I think I, I speak for a lot of people who've been in that similar situation. And so, you know, what we've tried to do is with our docs and nurses is to provide, is to, is to first of all, recognize the moment that we're in, to tell them, you know what, we've handled this, probably haven't handled this as well as we should have in the past. But here's, here's, the world is we see it now. Ask them if we're right. And and we've gotten affirmative answers. And so what we'd like to do is to help you better connect with your patients from a human to human standpoint. And I, I, I use human in, importantly because in healthcare, people are patients only a small amount of the time, but they're humans all of the time. But in healthcare, we do so many things to inadvertently dehumanize folks. What's the first thing we do when they come into the hospital? We make them take off their clothes and put them in a the closet. Then we put up the side rails and say, you know, don't don't put the side rails down unless unless you call for me first. There's so many things I could go on and on. What we're focusing on now in terms of heart wiring is giving our providers tips on a weekly basis to help them better connect with their patients. If you'd like, I can give you an example. I watched this tip one day, and the tip was um, about a, a patient who had written a, a letter complaining about his doctor. The patient had gone into the hospital um, or gone into the office and had complained of back pain. 
And the doctor did a full examination of this woman, great, great physical exam, great history, great history, reassured the woman that, that the back pain was neither neurologic nor musculoskeletal and, and sent her on her way. Well, in her letter, she said, this pain is exactly like the pain that I had when I had a kidney infection, but she hadn't mentioned it to the doc. So they said, you know, when you get a patient like this, ask one question. What is it about all of this that worries you the most? So I was a skeptic about all this. I watched this video. I said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this into the exam room with me. And so a patient came in and she had elbow pain. And I'm a cardiologist. Well, 10 minutes into this discussion, I already knew her elbow pain wasn't from her heart. But I had just watched this video and I said, what is it about all of this that worries you the most? She started crying. And, and she said to me, Doc, my brother, right before he died of a heart attack, had elbow pain. I've been practicing for 30 years. And, I, and I'd like to think that I have great relationships with my patients. But what I've learned to be is more thoughtful about the words that I use, the words that I choose to use with my patients in order to connect with them in their moment of need. And honestly, in my 30 years of practice, I have never been happier seeing patients because of the, the new relationships that these tips have helped me with. And we're seeing it across our health system as well with testimonials from our doctors and nurses who are participating. Well, it's a, it's a great, great story and a great example. And it's a great illustration of, you know, that the needs of the patients are in many respects, very similar to the needs of the care providers. We're They're all human. Exactly as you said, we have the same emotional need for that connection. That's the emotional fuel that gets them out of bed every day to yeah. be able to take care for folks. And so you can solve, you know, the the challenge and the strain and the burnout with the same cure, allowing them the time to make that emotional connection. You're exactly right. So where do goals and progress metrics? You said, you know, this is really about kind of tips and, and allowing the providers to get what they need first. You know, is this something you've been able to measure? And, and how do you, if so, how have you go about that? Yeah. So I think about things in, in this regard. Uh, we've been doing this for just uh, under a year. So I think about things in this regard as leading indicators and lagging indicators. So the leading indicators for me would be, you know, our, our level of colleague engagement, which we measure every year. In fact, we just measured it and we just got our results back. I'll come back to that. Um, we look at it in terms of uh, colleague, uh, especially physician burnout scores. We have a baseline, but we do not yet have the, the follow up on that yet. Turnover of both physicians, nurses, and other parts of the organization. Those would be my three leading indicators. I can tell you that on our, um, our Press Gaining uh, Colleague Engagement Survey, we've seen a material increase just in the last year uh, of, of that. And also, uh, we've seen a similar increase in our colleague, um, in our culture of safety score as well. In terms of lagging indicators, the things I think about there are HCAP scores. So especially as it pertains to physician communication, did my doctor communicate with me? Did my uh, nurse communicate with me? Uh, was the staff responsive to my needs? And, and for those who don't know, HCAP scores are, are CMS mandated surveys that go out to patients, Medicare patients who uh, come to our hospitals. And so they fill it out voluntarily and, and send it in. 
And, you know, health systems across the country don't typically do great on this score. And in the just so we're a year in um, and we've seen significant already significant improvements in those three scores. But even more impressive than that, Chris, is our net promoter score um, for the organization. So I think we were already a pretty strong organization. We started the year at about 80.3 percent. Um, that's a very high that, score. Yeah, so that's that's what our mar- my marketing um, folks tell me. But in the span of one year, we have gone to 86.5%. There are not many organizations in any industry that make the 80s, much less the high 80s. I'd like to say it's all related to this program, but you know, we're 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 taking a multi-pronged approach to this, but to to the well-being and engagement of our colleagues. Um, but certainly I think the realization that that our patients can't get what they need until our care teams get what they need first is is uh, foundational to our improvement. Wow. And I think it's perhaps going back to, you know, the original statement about heart wiring. If we kind of heart wire what matters most for the care teams and the patients, most of the other things will take care of themselves in terms you know of what, the metrics, right? That's, I was just in a meeting and I said that to my team. I said, you know, when you get, when you get great colleague engagement, everything else becomes possible. Now, every day we read in Becker's Healthcare all of the financial pressure that many providers are under and strain that they're reacting to and so forth. I'm wondering, has that been impacting or uh, Virtua or has heart wiring perhaps even mitigated some of that financial pressure? What, what are you seeing in that regard? So there are so many things that are an offshoot of an engaged workforce. Turnover goes down significantly and the cost of replacing a nurse, the cost of replacing a doctor uh, is remarkable. You know, we're a 14,000 person organization. As I said, we we employ about 4,500 nurses and, and uh, 1,400 docs. If we don't have to replace them, we're saving a lot of money. You know, we're trying to become a more efficient organization for our patients. And in, in, in order to do that, we need to have docs and nurses who are engaged. People don't want to spend an extra day in the hospital. If we can uh, keep them at home or get them home a day earlier or two days earlier, because we have a team that's focused on, on what matters most to the patient in that, in that moment, um, they're going to be able to, to move that patient through the system faster. And that's exactly what we've seen in the last year for the first time in and you know our history i think we're actually seeing really material decreases in the length of stay of our patients and again what patient doesn't want to be in their own bed you have an engaged workforce i'll say it again anything is possible and it's had incredible impact on our finances so here we've got a lot of folks listening who are either healthcare executives or healthcare you know providers themselves and perhaps they're interested in hey this heart wiring sounds really great Perhaps we could apply some of this in our organization. What advice would you have for them, for others that might want to consider following your example? Are there any important things to focus on or watch outs that you would suggest? I think the first thing is is uh, to look back and, and uh, honestly evaluate what you've been doing to this point. What's worked and what hasn't worked. I mean, we had to have a real honest look in the mirror with ourselves and and you know as much as we as much as we would have loved to have point at you know it's geez it's our doctor's behavior it's our nurse's behavior it was really it was really the the leadership's behavior that was what we had to tackle first and 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 then it was about you know 
being able to show empathy and and admit that things are things are rough for our colleagues. Um, but you have to do so authentically. If you if you're if you're just saying it, man, they'll 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 see through that immediately, and then 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 you're ten steps backwards from there. How did you kind of get that alignment among the leadership team? Was that something difficult or challenging to do, or you know, was this you know kind of care team? you know, coaching tips part of that? Or how, how did that part of it come about? I'll start out by telling you, I have this physician advisory committee and about 20 docs who um, that I just bring problems to that I'm thinking about. And um, some of them are some of them are frontline leaders. Other are just sort of, you know, doing the work. One day I brought like our HCAP scores to the docs. And I say, you know, tell me, tell me what's going on. And one of the docs, after a long discussion, one of the docs says to me, Reg, just tell me what I need to do, right? And that was like him throwing up his hands and saying, I've tried everything. And, uh, and it was in, in that moment that, that I realized we had to think differently about it. And then I will tell you, Chris, when I did come, I, I, I found an organization that could help us in this regard. I, I didn't just bring it forward. I brought it to that group. We spent a couple hours together, you know, vetting it. And at the end, I said, is this our path forward? So I got their buy-in. And then when I got their buy-in, I brought it to the nurses. And then when I got their buy-in, I brought it to some of my colleagues. In essence, I was hard wiring the meeting with my colleagues. Um, by the time I got to the meeting with our the other EVPs and our CEO, I could point to these different stakeholder groups that said, this is our path forward. So it was pretty easy. Yeah. And I'm guessing that the outside you know, group that you're referring to is Dr. Stephen Beeson and his team at Practicing Excellence. Is that right? Yes, you're exactly right. Big fans of what they do. They're all about kind of engaging the care team in getting their emotional needs met in just the way that you described. I've had an opportunity to be on his podcast as well. It's, it's, I would recommend it to anyone who's listening. It's called Practicing Excellence with Dr. Stephen Beeson. So I'm so glad to hear that that has been a, a great partnership for you. Yes, it has been. Are there any quick fixes or low-hanging fruit that you would encourage others to kind of start with? You know, So if we need to kind of focus on the care team first, what would be your first three steps if you were walking into another organization and wanting to replicate what you've been able to do at Virtual? I think the most important step is to listen. Senior leadership cannot solve the problems of, of the frontline staff without truly understanding what it is. And, and so that, that means taking the time to meet with the different stakeholders and to authentically listen to folks, show them that you care. About, about what they're going through to get beyond the us and them thing that often exists between hospital administration and, and care teams, and then involving them in the solutions that you bring forward. It's the buy-in that, that uh, is going to make or break this. And then the last thing I'll just say in that regard is, is that whatever you decide to bring forth, you've got to have your entire leadership aligned on this. There, there can be no error between what you're saying and what your other leaders are saying. Uh, uh, be, uh, otherwise, those those skeptics that that don't want to participate or think that this is just another one of those flavor of the month type of ideas, uh, they'll they'll use that uh, to their own benefit. And then I guess the last thing I'll say is, whatever you decide to go forward with, see what you can do 
to let the skeptics look at it first. A couple skeptics that that you think might actually the 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 program might actually resonate with, and it's those skeptics that have been so important in our success because they became what I'll call apostles of practicing excellence. And when when others look at them and see while they've bought in, it, it gives credibility to the program. I do have one more question for you, Reg, and that is, do you have a favorite quote? Uh, and if so, what is it and why? The quote I'll use um, is is one that, that I, I learned from uh, reading a book about Steve Jobs. Um, and, but it's uh, a quote from his favorite singer, whose name I'm forgetting. You'll probably remember it when I tell you the quote. But if you're not busy being born, you're dying. I live by that. Well, I think we're done with the questions at this point. It's been great to have you, Dr. Blaber. The, the progress that you've made at Virtue is really inspiring. Um, and we look forward to hearing more about things that are going on at Virtue in the future. To our listeners, thanks for joining us as well. We hope you found this discussion informative and hopeful. Be sure to join us for our next Humanizing Healthcare discussion with Doug Salvador, the Chief Quality Officer for Bay State Health. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of Humanizing Healthcare, please give it a rating, share it with others, and follow us at Fidelum Health on LinkedIn. And make sure you join us next time as we share more insights from another inspiring healthcare leader and innovator.